this morning. Those jokes were great, weren't they? Come on. You know, one year ago, I stood before you on Father's Day and I delivered a message entitled Underrated. And I talked about three things that fathers must do. I said fathers must love, they must listen, and they must lead. And I said that the foundation for that is the fear of the Lord. Well, I said in that message that I'd hope someday that I would be able to preach an entire message on the subject of the fear of the Lord. Guess what today is? I've been waiting a whole year for this subject to come up. I have. And I had the honor of preaching it last service, and I get to do it again right now. And I'm just as, as excited. Um, it's always an honor to speak God's word. But today is truly special. I can't even begin to tell you just how excited I am to share this message with you today. And my prayer today is that the Lord will speak directly into your heart. Listen, the fear of the Lord is not a popular topic. It's not a popular topic. You do not hear it talked about much at all in the world today. And that's whether inside the church or outside the church, unfortunately. You just don't hear enough about it. I'm going to tell you why it's the most important thing that you can do in your entire life. Not only am I going to tell you why you need to do it, I'm going to tell you why it's important. I'm going to tell you what it is, and I'm going to tell you how to fear the Lord. If you lean in today, if you humble yourself, and you ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart, your mind, and your ears today, I promise that this message will absolutely revolutionize your life. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here today. We pray, Lord God, that you would open our heart and our minds that we may hear from you. Thus saith the Lord. That's my mission. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd just impart your presence here and you'd teach us the fear of the Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So why am I so passionate about this subject, you might ask? Because the fear of the Lord is the most basic and most fundamental element of our faith. If we don't get this right, then we've missed the entire purpose of our existence. You might think, wow, that's over the top. The entire purpose of our existence? Ian, where'd you get that? Well, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. While you're turning there, you may remember that Pastor Bruce taught on the book of Ecclesiastes some months ago. He took us through that. And King Solomon was the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. He was the son of King David. He was also the wisest man that had ever lived. He had all the money in the world. He'd experienced everything. He'd had 700 concubines for wives. He'd done it all. And if you remember, it said in, that, in the text that he, everything under the sun is meaningless, he said. He'd experienced it all. What I love about this verse that I'm about to share with you is that he sums up the entire purpose of our existence in one verse. It's also the summation of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. You ready? Here it is. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. It was the whole duty of man. So, time out. I'm going to come back to that subject. But first of all, how many of you know who General Douglas MacArthur was? Great, a lot of you do. So General Douglas MacArthur was a five-star general. You don't see many of those. He was a five-star general in the United States Army, served our country for over 50 years, led campaigns in World War II, in Korean War, He gave an incredible speech, arguably the most famous military speech of all time. He gave this speech in 1962 to the Corps of Cadets at West Point, United States Military Academy. He was also a graduate of West Point. Now, I wish I could share the whole speech with you because it is awesome. But I'm just going to share one one little excerpt from it. And as a cadet myself, I remember looking out my barracks window. I was in MacArthur Barracks. And outside my window, I was on the second floor, was a monument to General Douglas MacArthur. There was a statue of him. And around that statue was a wall about three foot high. It was in the shape of a pentagon. And inscribed on the inside of that wall were these words that I'm going to share. 
You guys ready for it? Did that drum roll? He said, duty, honor, country. Those three hallowed words reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, what you will be. They are your rallying points to build courage when courage seems to fail, to regain faith when there seems to be little cause for faith, to create hope when hope becomes forlorn. These words were the epitome of my career when I served in the military years ago. They were words that inspired. They were words that encouraged. They were words that helped maintain focus, that gave purpose. These words are still the motto of West Point today. West Point was founded in 1802. It's still the motto of the Long Gray Line today. These words were also the inspiration for my message today. It's entitled, Duty, Honor, Jesus. Our duty is to fear God, and we are to honor Jesus. King Solomon said in our text today that we are to fear God and to keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of man. Now listen, God is just too awesome. He's too magnificent, too mighty, too glorious, too wonderful, too terrifying, too inspiring, and too holy for me to try to sum up the fear of the Lord in just one phrase or even in just one message. Consider today an introduction to the fear of the Lord because I can't possibly cover it in just one message. But if you twist my arm and you were to make me kind of boil it all down into one phrase, I would say that the fear of the Lord is reverence that results in obedience. It's reverence that results in obedience. You see, the fear of the Lord and obedience are intricately linked. They're intricately linked. Solomon said the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. If we truly fear him, then we will obey him. That's the message today. Duty, honor, Jesus. When I first started studying the concept of the fear of the Lord, this was last year, it really baffled me. I'm going to be honest with you. It really baffled me. I was confused. I thought, why should I fear him? I'm supposed to love him. Isn't love and fear kind of in conflict? I just didn't understand that. And what does the fear of the Lord even mean, I asked myself. And I thought, why haven't I learned this already? I've been in the church my whole life. And it seems like all I ever heard about was His wonderful grace, His incredible mercy, and His amazing and unending love. Listen, I'm not here today to take away from any of that. Because God is all of that and more. His love, His grace, and His mercy are absolutely amazing and true. However, the fear of the Lord, if you don't have that, without the fear of the Lord, it's an unbalanced view of who our mighty God is and what He wants from us. I hope that you'll see today that without the fear of the Lord, life is meaningless. That's the exact conclusion that King Solomon came to in the book of Ecclesiastes. When I first started studying the fear of the Lord, I did what many of us do. I simply associated the word fear with being afraid or being scared, cowering away, right? That is far too simplistic of a definition. It's also an incomplete representation of what the Bible truly means when it refers to the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm going to take you to two passages that really confused me when I first started studying this. I thought, you know what? Why don't we start with the hard stuff right up front? Right? Here we go. These two verses really confuse me. 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That was the first one. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, at first glance, when we look at these passages... It seems like the Bible's contradicting itself, right? I'm to fear the Lord, but it just says there is no fear in love. God is love, right? How can there be fear if, he's, if I don't get it? Same thing with the spirit of fear. Wait a minute, he didn't give me that spirit of fear. So talk to me on that. Why is that? Now, I don't have time to fully develop 
either one of these passages. But let me just tell you, the Bible never contradicts itself, ever. It's the infallible Word of God. It's the complete revelation of Him. It's the truth. So here's what you have to do. Anytime you encounter something like this, you've got to put your boots on, you've got to roll your sleeves up, you've got to go to work, and you need to dig in and study and find out what it means. So if you look at 1 John 4.18, for example, and you look at it in context, that is key. If you're studying the Bible, you can't cherry-pick verses here or there and try to hangle it together to make it say what you want it to say. Study it in context. And when you do with that one, you'll find out that it's not the fear of the Lord we're talking about. It's the fear of punishment, right? For those that will face judgment. Those that will face judgment are those that have not accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. They've not given their lives to them. So there is going to be judgment. And you better believe there's going to be fear for that judgment. But here's the good news. This is the good news of Jesus right here. If you have accepted Jesus into your heart, you've had a true salvation experience, you say, I believe in Him. I know He died for me and for my sins. Then there is no fear. Because He accomplished all of that for us by dying on the cross. So there is no fear of judgment. Okay, That's what we're talking about here in that first passage. The second one here, when it talks about the spirit of fear, let me just tell you, don't confuse the spirit of fear with the fear of the Lord. They are very different. Because when you truly fear the Lord, you will fear nothing else and no one else. Okay? That's why it says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. He's the only one you should fear. Nothing else. Is that good? You guys with me? All right. We'll soon see that when we truly fear God, we will fear nothing else. So, how do we understand the fear of the Lord? How do we gain knowledge of this? I love what the Bible says here in Proverbs. Here's what it says. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver and seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. You want to understand the fear of the Lord? Listen. Treasure His commands. Tune your ears. Concentrate. Cry out. Ask. Search. Seek. Then. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. Now, stay with me. I know the fear of the Lord is really tough to grasp. This is some deep stuff. I've been wrestling with it for a year. And I'm still wrestling with it. Okay? I'm still wrestling with it. It's interesting how many times I've read right over the words fear the Lord, fear God, fear Him in the Bible. It's interesting how many times I've read right over it. But did you know that it's actually written in the Bible hundreds of times? Not just in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament too. And as a matter of fact, who read the the Bible verse for today on the Bible app? Anybody? Come on. Some of you? All right, there's an app and it's called the Bible app. Download it on your phone, and they show you every day what the verse of the day is. Today's verse was Psalm 103, verse 13, and it said this. It said, God is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. I read that this morning, and I went, praise God, hallelujah, fear him, because I'm preaching on fear of God today. Isn't God cool like that, that he just lined that up and that happened to be the verse for the day? He's tender and compassionate to those who fear him. That was so good. So, if it's written in the Bible, then there's something for us to learn. But when it's written over and over again, it's extremely important for us to dig in and understand why. So, how many of you are sitting there going, well, tell us, what is the fear of the Lord? You ready? What is the fear of the Lord? I'm going to take you through several passages of today of Scripture because the best way to describe the fear of the Lord is to hear it from the Word itself. So if you've got your Bible and you're going to try to keep up with me and turn pages, you're welcome to do that. But I'm going to have it all up on the screen. So if you want to just 
stay with me and follow on the screen, that's fine too. I don't expect for you to turn to every single passage because we're going to get a lot of Bible today. You guys ready for a lot of Bible? I love the Bible. So here we go. What is the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 1 says it this way. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Psalm 111.10, very similar, says the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. Now, how many know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Trick question. Okay, knowledge is knowing all the facts. That's knowing information. That's consuming all the information. You're acquiring all of that. Wisdom is the ability for you to use that knowledge. It's to put it into practice. Okay, it's discernment. That's wisdom. So fear of the Lord is the foundation of both of those. It's the foundation of both knowledge and wisdom. So you'll understand how to apply the knowledge if you have wisdom. So there is no substitute for the fear of the Lord. There is no other foundation to build upon that will last. Until we understand who God is, we cannot have true wisdom. Also, if knowledge does not lead us to surrender our lives to Jesus, then what's the point? What's the point of life? If we want to be smart and we want to understand what life is all about, then we need to fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says it this way. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One. So the fear of the Lord is knowledge of who? Of God, right? It's not knowledge of the world. It's not knowledge of how to build this and how to do that and how to... It's knowledge of God Himself. That's the fear of the Lord. Any other learning is worthless and useless if it's not built upon the Lord himself. And a big problem today is this. The world wants to redefine God to its image rather than for it to conform to his image. Why is that? Because the world does not fear God. That's why. The world does not fear God. I read this article on gotquestions.org that I'm going to share an excerpt from. You guys familiar with gotquestions.org? Some of you? So last service, they didn't, no one said anything. I was like, what, you don't have any questions? Gotquestions.org, man. Go there and you can get answers. It's a great resource. Okay, so there was an article on there, and it was, How is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? This was the article, and here's the excerpt. It says, Too many people want to tame God into a non-threatening nobody. But if we redefine the Lord as a God that makes us feel comfortable, a permissive buddy who exists simply to bless us and give us what we want, we will not fear him in the way he deserves to be feared. The Lord God Almighty is far greater than that, and the fear of the Lord begins when we see him in his majesty and his power. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's the knowledge of God. Put that in your blank if you're taking notes. It's the knowledge of God. When we fear God, we realize that knowing God is more important than anything else in life. Are you with me? All right, let's look at this in Isaiah. Isaiah 33, verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. What's the treasure? It's Him. He's the treasure. Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verses 8 and 9 say, let, say it this way. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. He spoke, and it was done. The whole world, all of creation, he spoke. It was his word. Think about that. Isn't that crazy? It wasn't some big bang where complete disorder just suddenly and magically exploded into order. It wasn't uh, evolution where over hundreds of thousands of years we just we people just evolved from monkeys, Right? Let me ask you something. 
if we evolved from monkeys, then why are monkeys still here? That was a dad joke. Come on. Anyway. No, all of creation was a direct result of God's spoken word. So the fear of the Lord is to respect his word because he deserves our awe and wonder. Put that in your blank. Awe and wonder. Now, probably my favorite in this is this next one. Proverbs 8.13. It says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. So, if we fear the Lord, we will hate what he hates. What does he hate? He hates sin. Right? He hates sin. We can't mess around with sin. If we truly fear him, then we will hate sin and we'll avoid it and stay away from it. Do we see that in our culture today? No, unfortunately we don't. What we see is a toleration of sin. We have excuses for sin. We have a glorification for sin. And we have a desensitization to sin. That's what's in our culture today. If we do not hate sin, then we do not fear God. That's what it comes down to. If we do not stop practicing sin, then we do not fear God. You know, another verse that's very similar to this is Proverbs 3, 7. It says, the fear of the Lord, it says, fear the Lord and depart from evil. In other words, if I fear him, I'm going to turn around and go the opposite way from that sin, right? That evil. I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to sit and watch it with my eyes. Gosh, if you've seen the media industry today, the amount of sex and horror and graphic violence that are thrown into movies and TV today. And what do we do? Most, I'm saying we because I'm talking about the church. Many of us sit there and watch that and consume it. You think God wants us to do that? He hates it. He hates it. It says, the word says that God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. We can't play patty cake with sin. We've got to hate it. We need to get away from it. Proverbs 14 says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. So the fear of the Lord, it gives us security. It gives us safety. It gives us protection. And we can be confident that if we fear him, then we can escape the traps that lead to death, right? I love, I love another verse. It's, uh, it's in Corinthians. It's 10.13. It talks about that um, basically when you're face, facing temptation, it says, No temptation has seized you except that is common to man. God is faithful He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always provide a a way out. He will always provide a way out. The problem is, many of us don't look for the way out. We just, we're going right into that sin. If we hate what he hates, we stay away from it. But he'll always provide a way out. We've got to look to him. He is our place of safety. He's our refuge and our protection. But when we step out of that, we're vulnerable. All right, Proverbs 23, it says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord. In other words, be excited for it all the day, for surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. So the fear of the Lord is also to hope in the Lord. And we are to keep our eyes fixed on that hope. You know, the world is full of all kinds of distractions, and that's the key mission of our enemy. He wants to distract and deceive. That's what Satan does. That's his purpose. Distract and deceive. And the fear of the Lord is what keeps us focused. Hebrews 6 says that the hope hope is an anchor for our souls. Without this anchor, we're tossed back and forth by the waves of the world. And what happens is we aimlessly drift away from the truth that will set us free. You read the book of Hebrews, it talks about, warns us not to drift away from it. So we've got to be anchored to that hope. And many of us, we try to find fulfillment. We try to find validation from others or from things. Or it's our circumstances. That becomes our focus. The fear of the Lord is what keeps us anchored. 
It's what keeps us focused. It's what provides us hope. Very similar to that is Psalm 115, 11. It says, all who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. So not only is it a hope, it's also a trust. When we lack the fear of him, we really don't trust him. We don't trust him when we don't fear him. You know, we often try to trust in others, or especially, who else do we try to trust in? Yeah, it's ourselves, unfortunately. We become our own God, don't we? Because we know better than God. That's what happens when we don't fear him. It seems like we try to find help everywhere but in him. Or we're simply not patient to wait on him. How many of you are patient? Yeah. How many of you have been praying for something for a long time and you haven't seen it come to pass yet and you don't understand why? Isn't that frustrating? It's frustrating. But listen, God's timing is perfect. His ways are not our ways. We can't possibly understand what he's all up to. But the point is, you've got to hope in him. You've got to trust in him. That means you've got to fear him because he knows best. He knows best. I read this book. It's called The Fear of the Lord, Discovered the Key to Intimately Knowing God. It's by John Bevere. How many of you have read this book? Yes, I got one. I had nobody in the last service raise their hand. So listen, here, did I startle you? I could jump down the stage. So listen, here's your assignment. Read this book. It is so good. It's so good. In fact, I've read it twice in the last month. Fear of the Lord by John Bevere. Great book. So here's what John says. Here's one of his quotes. He says, The fear of the Lord is not grasped by the mind, but etched in our hearts. It's revealed by the Holy Spirit as we read His Word. As we read His Word. It is one of the manifestations of the Spirit of God, and God will impart it to the hearts of those who earnestly seek Him. So, speaking of manifestation... Let's look at that. It's in Isaiah chapter 11. It says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch, bearing fruit from the old root. Who are we talking about? Jesus, right? So this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on who? Jesus. That's who we're talking about. That's the Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? I hadn't seen that before. That's awesome. All of that rests on Jesus. Jeremiah 32. It says, And I will give them one heart. This is God speaking. I will give them one heart and one purpose to fear me. Now, depending upon your translation, you may see the word worship substituted for the word fear. Because worship is another definition for the word fear. If you fear him, then you worship him. If you worship him, then you fear him. So here we go. And I will give them one heart and one purpose, to fear me forever, for their own good, and for the good of all their descendants. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will never stop doing good for them. And I will put a desire in their hearts to fear me, and they will never leave me. They will never leave me. So the fear of the Lord is also to worship the Lord. God places that desire for us to fear him right into our hearts. It's at the point of salvation we say, yes, I want to know you, Lord. What does it say? What does the word say? Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Man, you got that new heart now. You've got the fear of him in your heart. He's put that there. When we surrender to him and he gives us that new heart, he fills us with that desire to worship him and fear him. How long? Forever. Forever. So what is the fear of the Lord? Let's summarize. The fear of the Lord is the knowledge of God and wisdom. It's the key to salvation. It's the key to knowledge and wisdom. It's the respect for the power of God's word. It's a hatred of sin. It's a strong confidence. It's a security. Fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, meaning it constantly is rejuvenating itself. There's just new life in it. It's a hatred of sin. It's a hope in the Lord. It's a trust in the Lord. It's a manifestation 
of the Spirit of God, and it's to worship. Now, I'm not going to claim that this is an exhaustive list of what the fear of the Lord is, but this hopefully gives you a thumbnail sketch of what it is. All right, so we ready to move on to something bigger? Why fear the Lord? Let's ask the why. We've answered the what. Let's answer the why. Why fear the Lord? Deuteronomy 6.13 says, You must fear the Lord. It didn't say, well, you should, if you feel like it. No, it says you must fear the Lord and serve Him. And Deuteronomy 10.12, very similar. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. So we are commanded. In other words, that's what these two texts are saying is we are commanded to fear the Lord. I could stop right here, pack up and go home. We are commanded. That ought to be enough, right? Because He commands it. And it is. It is enough. The Lord said we must fear Him and Him alone. But why don't we do it? Could it be that we're just too busy trying to achieve personal success? Could it be that we're just too comfortable? Let's be honest. If we worked at our jobs the same way that we serve the Lord, we would probably be fired in no time, wouldn't we? I mean, honest, right? Let's look at Proverbs 23. It says, Don't envy sinners, but always continue to fear the Lord. You will be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. So, we are commanded, we are rewarded. I love this next one. This is Psalm 34, 7. Correction to the slide there. Or was I right? Okay. Okay, it should say Psalm 34, 7. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. So we will be defended, is the point here. Commanded, rewarded, will be defended. Another reason, this is in Isaiah 66, 2. It says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. When was the last time that you trembled at his word? Right? That's a pretty strong question, isn't it? When was the last time that you trembled at his word? And what does that even mean anyway? Here's what it means. It means that we are to willingly obey we're, willing, we're supposed to willingly obey God even when it appears more beneficial to compromise or not obey His Word. It also means that we ought to tremble at the thought of doing anything that displeases Him. God wants us to fear Him because He knows that's what's best for us. And we will be blessed for doing so. Okay, We will be blessed for doing so. Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart in Him that they would fear me. And always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children. How long? Forever. Right? So we'll be blessed if we fear him. Psalm 103.11 For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Isn't that awesome? Unfailing love. So we will be loved. Proverbs 19.23 Fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. So we have security in Him if we fear Him. That's another reason. Acts 9.31 is this. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. So we grow stronger by fearing the Lord. You know, this is the call of the church today, is to fear Him. We get stronger by doing that. I love this next one, Psalm 112, 1. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. So, we will have joy. Probably my personal favorite in all of these is this one right here. If you hadn't been listening, lean in on this one. Psalm 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you His godly people. For those who fear Him will have all they want. Does it say that? Does it say, will they have some of what they need? It says, those who fear Him will have all they need. Put that in your blank. All 
Not some, not your wants. You're going to have all you need. All your needs are taken care of. You don't need not worry about it if you fear him. Love that. That's awesome. How are we doing? You doing good? Okay, keep going. This is the last one here. Psalm 147.11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. So we fear Him because it pleases Him. Put that in your blank. Pleases. We do it because it pleases Him. Isn't that cool? Don't you want to please your Heavenly Father? Then fear Him. So, let me summarize. Why do we fear the Lord? We are commanded. Because we'll be rewarded. We will be defended. We will be blessed. We will be loved. We will be secure. We will be stronger. We will have joy. We will have all we need. And because it pleases Him. Amen? All right, I'm going to get really practical with you guys. We've just talked about what is the fear of the Lord? Why fear the Lord? Now I'm going to tell you how to fear the Lord. You guys ready? You ready for this? Come, are, you get, are you excited? Are you as excited as I am? You want me to come down off the stage? Okay, here we go. How to fear the Lord. Two words. Obey Him. I could stop here. Obey Him. We obey who we fear. You know, I think the greatest example of obedience in the Bible is the life of Abraham. Some of you might know this story. Abraham was 75 years old when the Lord God came to him and said, I'm going to bless you and give you more descendants than there are stars in the sky. I'm going to give you more descendants than there are sand on the seashore. Some of you are going, it wasn't Abraham, it was Abram. You're right. His name was Abram at that time, and his wife's name was Sarai, right? God changed their names later on to Abraham and Sarah. So stay with me. We're talking about Abraham and Sarah. Okay, I know their names were something else. But some of you Bible people that are really, really getting to your Bible, you're like, you're wrong. So I, I had to mention that. Okay, so he's 75 years old, right? God gives him that promise. And here's the deal. It took 25 years, and we're complaining about us having to wait on our prayers being answered. Abraham had to wait 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled through the son Isaac. You guys remember that? Okay. Now, I, I chose Abraham for this story because Abraham's not perfect. He's like you and I, man. He makes mistakes. Okay. He made a big mistake. His wife told him, hey, I want you to go sleep with my maidservant, Hagar. Right. Because they wanted to try to manifest that promise themselves. They were tired of waiting, so they wanted to manufacture it themselves. So Abraham listened to that. You know what happened. You know the story. Ishmael was born. Ishmael was not the promised child that God had talked about. It was through Isaac that came 25 years after the initial promise. And what did God tell Abraham to do? He said, I want you to go sacrifice your one and only son. In other words, God wanted him to go kill his son and offer him as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's hard enough to think about sacrificing your own son, right? especially the one you've waited 25 years for. How do you think you might respond if God were to ask you that question, if he's testing your faith, right? Here's the deal, though. Abraham, if you read the story, he didn't object. He didn't whine. He didn't complain. He obeyed instantly. We know that because the text says he got up the next morning, set out for the land of Moriah where the Lord had told him to go. And the journey took three days for them to get there. Can you imagine this? You took two servants along with you. You got your son, Isaac, with you. You've got three days to think about what the, what the Lord had just told you to do. And your son's going, hey, Dad, where are we going, man? You know what I mean? That's, that's some tough stuff. So here's the deal. Many of us would have been sitting there saying, well, this doesn't make sense. We'd have been trying to find a way out of it. We'd have been like, no, God, you couldn't have meant, you could not have meant Isaac. Maybe you meant Ishmael. Right? That must have been Ishmael, you man. You didn't mean Isaac. No, that's what many of us would have done. Listen, we must obey. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it hurts. Even if we don't see what good can come from it. That's exactly what Abraham did. So Abraham, 
He gets his son on top of the mountain. He builds the altar for him, getting ready to, you know, light the fire and all that stuff. Got his son up there. He's got the knife raised up over his son's head. He's going to plunge the knife into his heart. Pretty graphic, isn't it? Getting ready to take that. The Bible's full of all that kind of stuff, by the way. You ever read the Bible? It's awesome. Okay? So he's got the knife. He's up there like that, getting ready to stab his son. And what happens? The angel of the Lord speaks up in Genesis 22, verse 12. Here's what he says. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear the Lord. Man, I've read this story so many times. I never saw that. I never saw that. For now I know that you truly fear the Lord. So how does God know that Abraham fears the Lord? Because of his obedience. We've got to obey all the way through. We must obey to completion. You know, Abraham could have rationalized his way out of that, just like many of us would have done, but he followed through. Now, if you look at the story of King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, you'll see a big contrast between King Saul and Abraham. And I don't have time to go there today to fully develop that story, but here's here's the lesson in that. Saul was disobedient. And here's the lesson. Partial or selective obedience is disobedience. And I will go so far today to tell you that if delayed obedience is also disobedience. How many of you have heard the people, somebody say, and you may have even been one to say it, well, the God, Lord is just working on me about such and such, right? He's working on me. What does that truly mean? It means you don't fear him and you're not obeying him. That's what it means. Let's not patty cake and sugarcoat it. Well, the Lord's working on me. No, if, if he was working on you, you'd be obeying. That's what it means. That's silly. So if we fear him, we will obey him. You see, Saul feared man more than he feared God. That was Saul's problem. Oh, how many of us do that very same thing today? We fear people more than we fear God. We're more concerned about what other people think. We are people pleasers instead of being God pleasers. The whole duty of man is what? Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what King Solomon said. That's the whole duty of man. That means God comes first. And when we properly fear him, we will not fear anything or anyone else. And we should never fear man. We should never fear man. You know, last service I got so excited, was taking sips of water and I spilled it all down the front of my shirt. And I said, you know what? You have to be able to laugh at yourself. You just do. So here we go. You can't fear man. Here's what Jesus says to that. And fear not them which will kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Right? So we fear God, not man. We don't fear man. If you fear God the way you're supposed to, you don't have anything else to fear. Nothing. So how do we do that? Many of us just need to go to work. What do I mean by that? Let's look at this. Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice the text says work out. It didn't say work for your salvation. Some people get tripped up here because we're talking about obedience. We're talking about works, right? Here's the deal. None of us can work for our salvation because it is a free gift, right? God gives it by His grace through our faith, okay? We can't earn it. We can't do anything to work for our salvation because the Bible tells us that even on our best day, our acts or our works are like filthy rags to Him, right? So we can't work for it. The Bible also says that we are all sinners, Romans 3.23. All of us, every one of us are sinners, And the wages of sin is what? Death, Romans 6.23. Thank God that Jesus came and paid that penalty for us. It's by His grace we're saved. So let me be clear. You can't work to earn your salvation. You can't work for it. But we definitely need to work out it. Because if you've had a true salvation experience and you truly know God, your Heavenly Father, you're going to obey because you love Him, because you don't want to displease Him. That's why you obey. 
That's the working out with fear and trembling, right? That's what that verse means. I really believe that as a society as a whole, we've just gotten too comfortable. I mean, let's be honest. That's what it comes down to. We have gotten too comfortable. We're too casual when it comes to our relationship with God. And I love how my pastor from Florida said this. Pastor Henry, love that man. He said this. You can be casual, you can be committed. But you can't be casually committed. You understand? When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we can't be casually committed. All right? Now, the Bible warns us very strongly about being lukewarm, doesn't it? Where does it talk about that? Revelation. Whew, perfect timing because guess what's starting next Sunday? We got a new study start next Sunday on the book of Revelation. Pastor Bruce is going to start that study. Here's the deal. You can't be casual because the Bible says if you're like that, you're a lukewarm Christian, he's going to spit you out of his mouth because it makes him sick. Okay? We often also don't consider the consequences. There's a fine line in the sand. How many of us try to get as close to that line as we can? Or we try to step over the line. Oh, nothing happened. Nothing happened. I'm good. Before you know it, you're over here. Then you're, then you're way over here and your line's way back over there. You've totally lost it. It's because we don't fear him, right? Just because you didn't experience a consequence because of a decision you made immediately, trust me, there will be consequences. You may not experience it immediately, but you will experience a consequence when you sin. It does happen. Don't think just because you got away with it, it's all good, because it's not. Okay? So, we need to work. Apostle Paul also says this in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or our spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness. Put that in your blank, holiness, because we fear God. We work toward it. That's our goal is holiness, okay? The only one that ever was holy who is who? Jesus. He was fully God, fully man. He was the only one that was perfect. That's what we're working towards. Our whole lives are focused on that, working toward holiness. Now, I love the fact that when you read the Bible, you've got the Apostle Paul talking about grace, right? Talking about through faith you've been saved. And then you've got the book of James over here that says what about faith? Faith without is what? Dead. What else does he say? He, said, he also says in there that, uh, good for you, you believe? Even the demons believe. Why is that? Because we're talking about works with faith together. All right? It's the result of your faith that you do those things. We just said you don't work for it. But because you've had that experience, you've got God living in your heart, now you're going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're working toward complete holiness, right? You can't have true faith without works working together. Faith without works is dead. Now, also, James says in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says, right? Doesn't he say that? You need to underline that in our Bibles, don't we? Do what it says. Be doers of the word. And listen, the most practical way that we can work out the fear of the Lord and the most practical way that we can learn to follow through in that fear of the Lord is to do what the word says. Now, I think the most practical way to do this is through the tithe. Ooh, man. Ian, you're going to go there on the tithe? You're going to talk about my money? Yes, I am. Here we go. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 14. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord. Now, in that day, the currency of the day was your grains, your crops, your flocks, your herds, all of that. That was the currency of the day back then, okay? The reason I brought this up is because the tithe is the most practical way to teach us to always fear the Lord because nothing competes with God for our time and attention more than money, doesn't it? Let's, be, let's just be honest. It's money. 
And ironically, our money says, in God we trust on it, but do we really trust him? Do we? If we tithe, we are saying we fear the Lord. And it will teach us to always put him first because God says to put him first. I would rather have 90% of my income and be blessed than to have 100% and be cursed. Me personally. Okay? I, it's, are you obedient or are you not? Do you fear him or do you not? That's what it comes down to. So the reason I brought this up is I love this text. It will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. You want to put this into practice, put this message into practice, then tithe. So we've talked about how to fear the God, how to fear God, what is the fear of the Lord, and we've talked about why to fear the Lord. Okay? Duty, honor, Jesus. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that your word is true, and it is the word that sets us free. I pray today, Lord, for each and every heart in here. I pray, Father, that if there's someone here today that maybe doesn't know you, and they want to know you, maybe they want to make that decision today. Father, would you just stir their heart? Would you just stir their heart, Lord, that they would come to know you? And for those of us that do know you, Lord, and maybe haven't been living the way that we should and haven't been fearing you or working out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, Father, would you work on our hearts? Would you turn us to be obedient children as we're supposed to? We know the many blessings that come with o- obeying you, Father, but help us to live this out, live this message out. We thank you, Jesus, so very much for all the many blessings that you give us. Please be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Have a blessed and awesome week. And thank you for being here today.